Amen. I like the last part of that song. Wow, it got kind of hot this morning, didn't we? There, I moved the microphone closer, so you may have to turn me down just a little bit this morning. Aren't you glad that in the family of God, that none of us made it in the family of God because we're good-looking, because we're rich, we're not in the family of God because we just inherited it, we're all there because of Calvary's Lamb. All that we have, all that we are, as Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know, you may come from a rich family this morning, an influential family this morning, but the family of God is made up of those that are there because of the the Lamb of Calvary, because of Jesus Christ. And I hope you're part of that family this morning. I really do. And, uh, you know, you may not have a very good earthly family. I have found out that some folks just uh, don't have relatives that they really want to claim. And it's kind of sad that uh, you don't get to pick your family. It's, it's, family is like church members. You don't get to pick them, okay? You just got to deal with the ones that you got. Uh, but uh, you do get to pick the part of the family you're going to be in eternity. And I'm glad because of what Jesus Christ did. I'm part of the family of God, and it's all because of what he did. I couldn't work my way. My righteousness was as filthy rags, and I'm going because of Christ, that and that alone, nothing more, nothing less, all of what Jesus did for me. And I hope you can say that today. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved and you're part of the family of God, you can leave here a part of the best family in the world. All because of what Jesus did for you. Good to see you here today. I've been looking forward to Sunday. I always look forward to being in God's house. Uh, I look forward to seeing you and and hearing the singing. And I look forward to having the fellowship that we have. But I want you to know, I look forward to hearing from God. Even though I'm the one here preaching this morning, I look forward to hearing what God has for us today because God's got something for all of us. And I'm glad you made the effort to be here. I'm sure the devil gave you plenty of reasons not to be here, but I'm glad the Lord won out and you're here today. And I hope you're looking forward to what God wants to do. You know, uh, there's a lot of reasons we have to look around the room this morning and find why we, why we don't want to come back and not be here. So that guy was not nice to me, or that guy talked too much to me, or that guy stole my seed, or I don't like singing in public. But I hope you look forward to what you're going to get and the reason to come back, not a reason not to come back. I was reading a story the other day about two little boys. They were twins, and psychologist was studying them, trying to figure out how they think and how they operated as twins. And so they come up with a, uh, a test that only a psychologist could come up with. They filled a room full of manure. Now, for those of you that uh, may not work around uh, the woods and they outdoors very much, manure is uh, not a very pleasant thing to be around. You can Google it when you get home. It'll tell you what manure is. But uh, <clears throat> they filled the room with manure and they put the two little boys in there. And uh, the one little boy just sat there and griped and complained and just said, man, this place stinks. Why don't you put us in here? And the other little boy just keeps digging holes and digging holes and digging holes with the biggest smile on his face. They asked the little boy why he was so happy. And he says, well, with this much manure, there's got to be a pony around here somewhere. (laughs) And he was going to find the pony and all of the manure that was there. I assure you, I hate to tell you, look, we're human just like the next person. You come to God's house, if you want to find some manure, you'll find it every once in a while. Because we all have it in our lives. But I hope you come here this morning looking forward to the pony and not looking for a reason not to come back this morning. Today's kind of a special day. We're going to finish up a series that we started uh, four weeks ago on a nation in need, something the Lord laid upon our heart and never preached this, this series before. And this is what the Lord kind of gave us to preach. We're going to finish it up this morning on something I'm very excited about preaching. And 1 Kings 18, if you want to be turning there. 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm looking forward to next Sunday, Heritage Sunday, 70 years. You know how many churches won't make it to 70 years? 
Not only has our church made it to 70 years, but by the grace of God, and we've grown through the years, and God's blessed all that we have here, and excited about hearing uh, Brother Bartlett next Sunday night. I did not tell Brother Brent, Brother Heath, he was coming. Kind of let that be a surprise, and uh, I told uh, Brother Bartlett, I says, I know they'll be excited you're coming. He says, they probably won't be excited that I'm coming, but the grandkids will, and so at least he's looking forward to seeing the grandkids next Sunday night, and uh, when I prayed about who to have come, I, I'm not smart enough just to pick somebody. I have to ask God who he wants to come, and I asked God, and we started thinking about a godly heritage uh, with Al Bartlett come to mind, and uh, looking forward to hearing from him on Sunday night, and we might just talk him into singing. We'll see how all that works out. First Kings chapter 18, if you're there, let's stand together, <clears throat> look down to verse 37. We have preached a lot through here the past three weeks, and we'll finish up here today. Elijah is, on behalf of a nation in need, rebuilding the altar and praying for the power of God to fall. And this is what we're praying for. On behalf of our nation, which is very much in need this morning, we are trying to be obedient to what thus saith the Lord in order for God's power to fall on this place. And finally, verse 37, we see Elijah's prayer. Elijah says, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know, that's 1 Kings 18, I don't know if I said 17, 1 Kings 18, verse 37, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, thou hast turned their heart back again. Now watch verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God the Lord, he is the God. Verse 40, then Elijah said unto, the, unto them, take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Elijah said unto Ahab, get thee up, eat and drink for there's a sound of abundance of rain. Now let's ask the Lord to bless and speak to us today. Father, thank you Lord for your word. And I thank you Father for this opportunity again. Lord, thank you for the passage we just read, and I pray that we'll read it, Lord, not as a fairy tale, but truth. Lord, you preserve this for us for a reason, and I believe it's for such a time as this, as our nation is greatly in need. I pray you would help us, Lord, the people of God, to do our part, that we might see the fire fall again, stir our hearts, uh, Lord, to do your will. And I pray if there's one lost here today, help them to see, Father, their need for salvation, accept you before it's too late. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <coughs> Excuse me. I got to tell you a funny real quick uh, before I preach. I, I was ready to preach yesterday, kind of had everything ready to roll and got home last night and decided to go to bed early. So I'd be uh, ready to go this morning. And I went to bed, got up early and, and took out my notes and began looking over my notes. And uh, the Lord began to let us know he wanted to change the message up just a little bit. I knew that was going to happen. I had the message too early. I was too comfortable. And the Lord says, you don't need to be comfortable. You need to trust in me a little bit more. And so he changed the message up a little bit on us this morning around, uh, around 5.30 or 6 o'clock. And I, I began looking for a, some notes, sort of scrap some notes on, some paper and I couldn't find any paper to write notes on. I left it all in the office. And all I had was one of my old outlines. Uh, and I never write on the back of my old pieces of paper. And so I flipped an old outline over. And I made this morning's notes out on an older outline. So I'm going to go ahead and let you know, if I flip the page the wrong way and start preaching another message, let's just go with it. And we'll just assume it's providence, okay? So I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there. A couple of weeks ago, I started telling a story. And you probably remember it well. And I couldn't remember where I was going with the story. So I just stopped and went back to the notes and started preaching. Somebody asked me after the service, did you forget? I said, yeah, absolutely. 
absolutely, I forgot. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you in advance. We get it here in 1 Kings chapter number 18, and we see something quite wonderful where one of my favorite events in all of Scripture takes place, where verse 38 says that the fire of the Lord fell. And how we're praying for that, that the fire of God would fall in America again. The power of God would fall in America again. But I believe verse 37 through about verse number 40 will show us this morning on how we can have the fire of God more readily than we think. I was thinking this morning about something that happened to me years ago when I was uh, about 11 or 12 years old, as best I can say. We lived in Carson, so I was about 11 then. And I remember we had a push mower. And uh, some of you don't know what that is, but uh, it's uh, something you walk behind and cut the grass with. The only people who had riding mowers were rich people. Uh, you, if you had a riding mower and if you had a refrigerator with the water in the door, you were a rich person. Uh, that's just kind of how I used to categorize it as a kid. And uh, I don't have the riding mower yet because Brother Danny does that for us, but I do have a refrigerator with water in the door. So we're ranking up there nowadays. But uh, we had a push mower, and uh, Dad kind of thought that helped build character. And uh, so that's how we cut our grass. We had probably an acre and a half of grass, and we cut, cut it with a push mower. And my dad was working out of town, and I, the mower started to sputter. It started cutting in and out, and then it would just die. I checked the gas and I checked the oil and the mower was running just fine. There was, there was no problem on that end of it, but it just wouldn't crank or stay cranked. So I called my dad and, and I said, Dad, look, the mower keeps shutting off. I hope, and he was just going to say, well, just park it and you can finish it when I get home. <laughs> that didn't work. Um, dad says, look, check the gas. I checked the gas. He says, check the oil, check the oil. He says, make sure you don't have a rope or something. You know, as kids, you're kind of indiscriminate about what you run over with a lawnmower. And make sure there's not a rope or a cat, you know, wrapped up around the bottom of the mower. And so I flipped it over and there was nothing there. The the blade was able to freely spin. And I called Dad back and I said, Dad, he's got all that. He says, well, have you checked the fire yet? And I said, what do you mean by the fire? He says, well, if you've got gas and you've got oil, there's nothing wrong with it. Make sure your spark plug, your wire is hooked to your spark plug. Check the fire, check the fire. And so I uh, went out there and was trying to get it cranked and trying to get it cranked. And uh, my brother was trying to crank it. And I said, well, let me wiggle the wire. You get, I can tell you the generation that just moaned <laughs> is over the age of 40. And so my brother, he's jerking on it. And I, I, I didn't know that you need to grab that spark plug wire by the, the, the rubber part. And all of the sudden, let me tell you something, there was a spirit ran up my arm and <laughs> it was not holy. I'll tell you that. It was not holy whatsoever. And I jerked my arm back and my brother, of course, is just laughing. And uh, it, what happened to me, but here's, here's what, it, what happened. Ultimately, I found the fire there on the lawnmower. I found where the fire is at. And I want you to know, it was enough fire to motivate me and the lawnmower after that. The lawnmower, once I fixed that and crimped it back on the spark plug, it ran from there on out. And I want you to know something else. I never had to be reminded of where the fire was at on the lawnmower yet. There's been a few nieces and nephews I have had to teach them. You know, I think it's just good teaching to let them know where the fire is at and experience what their uncle went through. But here's what I want you to understand this morning. In order for me to find what was wrong with that lawnmower, the problem was it had a firing issue. The spark plug wire was coming off the spark plug. It was not getting the fire that it needed. And although everything else was in order, it was not getting the fire that it needed to run the mower. And once I found the fire, once we figured that out, we got that mower running fine. And, and I got to run, uh, run fine along with it along, along the other side. But here's what I want you to see today. I believe Israel is in a similar place. 
Israel is spitting and sputtering along, and Israel's about to kind of spiritually kerplunk, if you will. And God says, you have a fire problem. You have a problem of something that needs to be motivating you and getting you going and keeping you going. And so Elijah finds that here's what we're going to do. He says, we're going to help them find their fire. That's exactly what Elijah did. He says, look, you folks are kind of spitting and sputtering. You don't know whether God's your God, verse 21, verse 22. They're trying to figure out if God or Baal is going to be God. They're just not running very well. Elijah says, we're going to have to fire you up just a little bit, get you going. And Elijah helped Israel find their fire. But here's what's interesting. This is where the Lord changed the message this morning. It's interesting that Elijah didn't need the fire. Elijah was motivated to serve God and be faithful to God without a fireball. He didn't have to have a fireball. Elijah was still serving him and faithful to the will and the word of God in spite of all of the circumstances. God did not have to send a fireball for Elijah. And I thought, wow, that is quite interesting. Why? Because Elijah had enough of past fire from God that kept him motivated. Elijah had enough experience with God and had seen God work enough in his own life that he did not have to have a fireball. And while Israel was waiting on a fireball to motivate them, all Elijah did was look back to his past and all that God had done for them, and that was enough to motivate him in the present. Now, here's what I want you to see this morning. Elijah did not have to have that. Elijah says, I don't need a fireball. I'm motivated enough. And I believe this morning, we are waiting on something that God has probably already sent us. We're waiting on God to do something miraculous in our life in order to motivate us to serve God as if God has not already done something miraculous in our life. Can I tell you, if you're here this morning and you're saved, God has already sent the greatest fireball to your life. That ought to be enough motivation for us to serve God the rest of our life. And as much as I would love to see the fire of God fall down on America, I'm talking about revival, I believe God's given his people enough already to motivate us to the finish. So this morning, what I wanted to help us do, if we can, through the message is what Elijah was helping them do in 1 Kings 18. He was helping them find their fire. I believe this morning, God's done enough for us already. We don't have to go seeking out some magical experience. I see these poor people on television, and I watch it for comedy. I really do. They go to these crusades, and you got these people falling down and convulsing on the floor, and Benny Hinn is loving every moment of it, him and his $3 million home and 10-car garage. Because everybody's looking for these experiences and these moments when if you're saved this morning, God's already done the greatest work in your life. That ought to be enough to motivate you to to, to cross the finish line on this thing. So we're going to look at real simply, simple thought of finding your fire, finding your fire. And I know Brother TJ's not listening, but man, I appreciate him. I called him this morning. I said, God's changed this thing up. The notes I gave you yesterday, scrap them. We're going to go with a new one this morning. So let's see what happens when you find your fire, if we could. Verse number 38, the Bible says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Now watch what happens when you find your fire. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. So back in verse 21, they, they they didn't have an idea who they were going to trust in just yet. They hadn't decided who God was just yet. But man, when the fire of God fell, the first thing that you noticed this morning was they found their faith. 
They found their faith. Notice between verse number 38 and verse number 39, Elijah doesn't say anything. After the fire of God fell and they saw the power of God work and they saw God do something miraculous, the preacher did not have to push them to go and do the will of God and to have faith in God. The Bible says as soon as they saw it, they says, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. Now here's what's awesome and sad at the same time, that it took a fireball. That's the sad thing. It took a fireball. As if God had already not done enough for the nation of Israel, he had to send a fireball in order for them to decide who their faith was going to be in. Now, folks, as much as I want to pray the fire of God fall down on this country again and revival spread across this country again, I believe what God has already done in this country ought to be enough for us to be motivated to do the will of God. I mean, look back in the past at what God's done at this place. Next Sunday, we'll look at 70 years of faithfulness and God's faithfulness to this place at Central Baptist Church. Just in the brief time I've been here, I've told you about so many times as a kid that I would come and visit this church, and I was preaching chapel this week to our kids up at the school, and I told them, Central Baptist Church, when I was a kid, was the church. It was the church. I mean, the kids that got to go to Central were lucky kids. I mean, got to be a part of a youth group and and a school and all of these things. I mean, the hand of God has been on this place. And we sit around and we're waiting, we're praying, God, send us a sign. And God, give us something to motivate us. God says, just look behind you. I've done so much for you in the past 70 years. That ought to be motivation enough. You shouldn't have to have a fireball to motivate you. But when they found their fire, notice they also found their faith. It's a sad day to me today. It really is that our faith hinges on God doing something in the future. Why don't we just look in the past and see what he's already done? If you're saved here this morning, can I tell you, nothing will ever eclipse the work of God in your life when he saved your soul. That's the biggest fireball you could ever have. Look, instead of waiting on God to send a fireball for you to have faith in him, why don't you just look back at what he's already done and let that be enough? Man, God saved me. He changed my life, and he called me to service. There's nothing greater than that. I shouldn't have to have a fireball to motivate me this morning. We see this in the life of David. David comes to the battlefield, and there's his brothers. They're kind of like Israel in my lawnmower. They're spitting and sputtering, not doing very good. That army of God's up on the hill watching the giant that is down there. Can I tell you, in the understatement of the year, they are not very motivated. They're kind of scared of that guy. That's a big guy down there. I don't know if we can go there and fight them. David comes up to the battlefield, and he is not hesitant at all. I think we can look at David as being motivated. David just goes and finds him some rocks. He tells the king, he says, I don't need your armor. I just need a few rocks. He went and picked up five. You know, I, you know this, I heard this preacher say years ago, Goliath had some brothers, so he didn't know if they were going to come and try to jump him after it was over. So he got four extra just in case that they did. But David runs down to Goliath and starts having this conversation. And we need this morning to listen to the conversation of what David had to say to Goliath. He said, well, there was a time back, I'm paraphrasing, okay? There was a time back, years ago, I was watching my dad's sheep. All of a sudden, he says, this lion come out of the woods and tried to steal one of my dad's sheep. So I just caught the lion by the mane, and I just cut his throat now look, some of us are scared of imaginary creatures. Can you imagine really going after a real lion? David said there was another time that a bear came out and trying to attack my dad's sheep. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
And he says, I took care of him too. And he says, you're going to be just like the lion and the bear. Can I tell you, David did not have to have some great epiphany from God to go fight Goliath. All he did was look back to his past. He says, I got a couple of fireballs back there that give me the confidence to know that God's going to show up again here. Folks, we got to get to the place in our lives where we quit waiting on God to do something and we look back and be motivated by what God's already done. We don't need to be these people that are wishy-washy. I'm trying to decide if I should sell out my life for Christ. Can I tell you, what he's already done should be enough. God's done enough for this country. God's done enough for this church. God's done enough for our homes. At the very least, God's done enough for you that you ought to be motivated to serve him even if he doesn't send a fireball. The Bible says, and when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. I was reading Exodus chapter 2 and 3 this morning when God would call Moses. Now, Moses was having a little bit of trouble being motivated, wasn't he? You want me to go back where? And talk to who? About what? Oh, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not, I don't have excellency of speech. I don't, I don't know if I can do all of that now. And it's interesting what God says in Exodus chapter 2 and 3. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, and I am the God of Jacob. Here's what he's saying. Look to the past, Moses. Look what I did in the past. Folks, can I tell you, God's done enough already. We don't have to sit around and try to figure out the next great program or find the the excellency of speech to reach this nation. All that we need to do is look back at things that God's already done, and what God's already done ought to give you enough faith to trust him for what he wants to do. Elijah says, look, I don't need a fireball. I already trust him. I see what he's already done in my life. I don't know about you. God's done a lot in my life. Number one, he let me be born in America. That's a privilege. Ben Carson said, he said, I've already won the lottery. He said, I was born in America and I know the Lord. That's somebody who's got something figured out. I was born in America. I was born in a home that had both a mom and a dad present. Born in a home where mom and dad took me to church. Born in a home where the word of God was important. Born in a home where at nine years old I heard the Holy Spirit speak to my heart. By the way, I, I believe it has a lot to do with the home you're born in. Hear about the word of God, the Holy Spirit has that word to use. Nine years old, I trusted Christ. Fifteen years old, I got to be called into preaching. Did you hear what I said? I got to be called into the ministry. Paul said he thanked God for putting him into the ministry. Can I tell you, God's done so much in my past, I don't need a fireball to be motivated. God's done enough. Look, you sit around and your life may be a room full of manure. And all you see is manure. But can I tell you something? If your room full of manure is in the United States of America, you've been blessed. A lot of folks are living in a room full of manure in a third world country. You ought to thank God that you get to live in a room full of manure in this one. Look back at how God's blessed you. And that ought to give you the faith even if God doesn't give you a fireball. What is God doing? Well, in Exodus chapter 2, when he says Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's giving them his credentials. You know, it's kind of like your identification. I went to Walmart a while back to get some spray paint. Who would have thunk it that you got to get carded to get spray paint? I mean, some of you folks need to lay off, okay? So I don't get carded every time that I go get some spray paint. And the lady says, can I see your ID? I'm going to be honest with you. I smiled. The lady was shorter than me, and she couldn't see the ball spot on top of my head, so she thought I was 18. I was like, well, you know, I said, well, you know. I ran out of spray paint, and I had to go back to Walmart again. The same lady asked for my ID again. 
Like I already showed it to you again. Well, she wanted to see my credentials again. I had to convince her again of who I was. That's how it is with God. God says, how many times do I have to convince you I am who I say I am and I will do what I said I will do? God says, just look in the past. Look at all of what I've done. God says, I've done so much. You shouldn't have to have a fireball to find your faith. Because when you find your faith, you'll find your, you find your fire, you'll find your faith. Now, here's what Satan does real quickly. If Satan can get you to forget what God has done, he will get you to question what God wants to do. If Satan can get you to forget what God has already done, you will question what God wants to do. We see this in the lives of the children of Israel. In the book of Psalms, the Bible tells us, I'm going to read it for you real quick. I have a blue dot by that scripture in my notes. That means I read that one, okay? So I'm going to go back and read that one. It's a code that only I know. When I die, it will die with me. Psalms 106, listen closely. The Bible's talking about the children of Israel in here, and it says in verse 7, Our fathers understood not the wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies. What did he say? He's saying the children of Israel, when God did all of those miracles in Egypt, you know, the ten plagues, God did all of that. And verse 7 says, our fathers understood not the wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies. Listen to the next, the next sentence. But provoked him at the sea, at the Red Sea. You see, they forgot what God did in Egypt, and so they were afraid to cross the Red Sea. You see, the devil had gotten them to forget what God had done, and now they questioned what God wanted to do. I believe the reason the church is so questionable about what God could do in simply Central Baptist Church is because we've forgotten what he's already done. If we would just look back at what God already did, listen, we would find the faith to press toward the future. But keep reading. Verse 7 says that they, the Bible says they understood not the wonders and they remembered not. The Bible says in verse number 13, listen to this, they soon forgot his works. They soon forgot his works. What happened? The devil used some of that. Uh, in, what's that uh, when you lose your memory? What's that called when you lose your memory? Amnesia. I want to say insomnia, but that, I knew that didn't sound right. Amnesia. The devil sprayed that amnesia spray in their face, and they forgot about what God did in Egypt. And the Bible says they forgot. And they begin to question his judgments. And then we keep reading on down to verse number 21. The Bible says they forgot God, their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt. The reason Israel would never move forward into the promised land all goes back to forgetfulness of God's mighty works and God's mighty power. The reason we question what God could do through us as an individual and as a church is because we forgot what God's already done. If you're saved this morning, what God has already done ought to give you enough faith to trust him for what he wants to do. It took a fireball for them. I pray it doesn't take a fireball for us. I tell you about this a lot, but I don't think I've ever showed it to you. I have a picture. I think the guys have it back there. They're going to pop in. Can you guys pop that in for us right there? There it is. This is the picture I've been telling you about of me on a garbage truck. Some of you, I think you think I'm lying to you, so I had to get the picture to prove it to you. And that's on a Wednesday night after church. That's Brother Trey McLemore on the other side of the garbage truck. And we ran our route, came back, changed clothes, uh, preached, and then changed our clothes again and went back out to finish our, our garbage route. And I took that picture that night for one specific reason. I don't normally take selfies on a garbage truck, you know. Not a whole lot of good reason to do that. But I took that picture for one particular reason. I told Brother Trey, he was one of the founding members of Bayou Baptist Church. I says, let's take a selfie right here. And years down the road, when we see all that God's done, let's look back and remember just how good God's been to us. And that's why I keep that picture. 
I don't want to forget how far God brought us. God brought me from the garbage truck, amen? How excited it was hey, to wake up in the morning and be able to go to the office instead of going to the garbage truck. It's good to remember how far God's brought you and what God's done for you. Because if you forget, you'll get like Israel. It'll take a fireball for you to have faith in God. I believe all America needs to do to get back to the place where God works again is remember what God's already done for us. God's done so much for this country. One of my favorite stories, I went back and looked it up to get my facts right this morning, was what George Washington experienced on August 27, 1776. 39,000 British soldiers encircled in three different camps uh, Brooklyn of New York. 39,000 British soldiers encircled Brooklyn, and there were only uh, 19,000 of our people there, all right? They were representing who we were going to be as America. The British begin to close in. The Continental Army doesn't stand a chance. And the Bible says immediately this fog began to settle in on Brooklyn. And the fog was so thick that the British couldn't get to where we were, and it allowed us to escape out of the hands of the British. George Washington looked back and he says, that was God. That was God. God had a hand in the establishment of this country. God has been here since day one. If we would just, by the way, that's why they're trying to erase it out of history. They don't want you to know that it was God who set this thing up. It was God who put this thing together. And if we would just look back at what God's already done in America, it'd be enough for us this morning to want to fight to preserve it. George Washington said this. I I printed this off and read this. I love this. I'm going to pin this to my wall. No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore an invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States. Every step by which they have advanced to the character of an independent nation seems to have been distinguished by some token of providential agency. What's George Washington saying in language that's kind of beyond our vernacular today? It was God who did it. If there's anybody who ought to be able to look back in their history and see God, it ought to be the United States of America. So let me ask you this morning, hasn't God done enough for you already for you to have your faith in him? Hasn't God done enough? Well, I'm just waiting on God to send the lottery down. I'm just waiting on God to help me get those Powerball jackpot. And then when God does that, then I'll know that I can trust him. I want you to know, listen, if you can entrust God with your soul, you can trust him with your situation this morning, whatever it is. I mean, if you've entrusted your soul to almighty God to get you to heaven when you die, then by all means, you can trust him with the life that's in front of you right now. I mean, folks, look, the biggest step of faith was trusting him to be saved. The rest, it's just simple from there on out. Number one, notice when they found their fire, they found their faith. Verse 39, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Look at verse 40, we've got to hurry. Elijah said unto them, take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they took them. Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now, this is kind of interesting. The people, in verse 21, were scared. They were not motivated. They were indecisive. And yet now we see this group of people, as soon as they saw the fire of God fall, as soon as they found their fire, the second thing they found was they rose up to fight. They rose up to fight. You know, it's amazing what will happen when you get to know the God that you say you serve. It's amazing. You get to know God and just how much spiritual courage you'll have to do the will of God. Now, I'm going to pick on these people just for a minute. We're going to call these guys bandwagon believers, okay? They kind of jumped on the bandwagon after the fire fell. It's sad they didn't have enough faith, and it's sad they didn't have enough fight beforehand 
because of all that God had done. Elijah simply was serving God. He had a fire inside of him long before the fireball ever fell. Why? Because Elijah knew what Brother Curtis Hudson used to sing about all the time. He was already on the winning side. Can I tell you, based on most of our fight this morning, I'm not sure we know that. You look at how we fight and how we stand, and I fear this morning that we need a little bit of fire stirred in our hearts and our lives. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, he tells him to fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. You know, I'm not a fighter. I got beat up several times on the bus when I was a kid in public school. I can't figure out why. I guess I just have one of those faces that you want to punch. It was so hard for me to hit somebody back. I really did. I, I didn't like to fight. I didn't enjoy fighting. I mean, I kind of found it senseless. I'm like, okay, can we just talk? No, negotiations were out. Public school bus, fighting was the rule. And it's not something I enjoy doing. And if I'm going to get in a fight, you're going to have to stir me up. Pretty bad. Many years ago, a long time ago, over 20 years ago, I was a teenager. And um, we, were, we were out in town. And uh, long story short, there was someone who had kind of confronted my mother about something. My sweet little mother, by the way, pray for my mom and dad there in Florida with my uncle who had a heart attack on, uh, on Monday, I believe it was. And my sweet little kind, quiet mother was being threatened by this individual. And they just kind of laid their hand on my mom's arm. Man, this guy that grew up on Sesame Street, next door neighbors to Mr. Rogers, all of a sudden, something on the inside started bubbling up that I had never quite felt before. Next thing I know, I find myself in the tire shop of the gas station. And I find a two-by-four in this hand, no joke, and a brick in this hand. I'm not lying to you. Ask my mom. She'll tell you. Then my mom begins to scream, put it down, put it down. And then the police pulled up. The Prentice police. I saw the policeman in Ollie's the other day. I was kind of like, oh, you know. I didn't invite him to church. You know, I was kind of embarrassed. You know, that was the guy he almost arrested. Man, what happened? This mild, meek-mannered child became a warrior with a brick and a two-by-four. Why? Man, all of a sudden, I found my fight. They were messing with something that was important to me. Now, folks, can I tell you something this morning? Based on our fight, the will, the word, and the church of the living God are not very important to us. I mean, look, we're not even, we're not even, we're not even talking trash with the world. At least Elijah had enough guts to talk some trash to these guys. Verse 27, it says it came to pass. Elijah mocked them. At least he was throwing some smack their way. But the church has lost our fight. Why? I'll tell you why. We've forgotten what God's already done for us. You ought to be fired up to take a stand for what God says is right. You ought to have a little bit of spiritual fight in you this morning. Listen, you say, well, I'm waiting God to do something big in my life. And when God does something big in my life and sends a fireball, then I'm going to be fired up. Oh, like saving you was not enough. I mean, he saved us. Go back and read the crucifixion. Look at all that he went through. That ought to fire you up to take a stand for the will of God all day long. Elijah says, I don't need a fireball. Elijah stood for God long before the fire fell. A few years ago, Brother TJ called me in December and says, uh, Megan asked what I want for my birthday, and I told her I want to go to the Independence Bowl in Shreveport. He said that uh, his team, the Knowles, were playing University of Southern Mississippi. And uh, he says, what I want for my birthday is for you and Miss Leslie to go with us. I mean, that's a, that's a real buddy right there. And he bought the tickets, you know. It wasn't like, hey, I want you to go, but you got to buy your own ticket. No, he bought me the ticket. 
So he says, the only catch is you have to cheer for the Knowles. Now, I've repented of that since I've moved to Hattiesburg. I would have pulled for the Eagles now, but I was, you know, I wasn't then. And man, so we get there and uh, I bought me one of these things. I tucked it away in my pocket this morning. There we go. I bought me one of these little banners. What do they call these pennants? And it was USM and Florida Seminoles, the Independence Bowl. And I even bought me a maroon toboggan because it was like 20 degrees. And I, I even ordered off of, uh, off of Amazon a, a, a Florida Seminoles hoodie. I was dressed in the park. I'm sitting up here in the stands waving my little Seminoles flag. But then we had this problem. They started doing these Seminole chants. Now, all I knew was, oh, that's all I knew. You know, that's that one verse song. I knew that was pretty well. But when you start talking about the alma maters, man, I'm saying, that's all I knew. Because even though, look, I had the hoodie and I had the hat and I had the little pennant and I was raising it, after a little while, you could tell that really wasn't my team. Can I tell you this morning, a lot of us will dress the part, a lot of us will talk the part, but sooner or later, it's going to come out in our fight. It's going to come out. Can I tell you, look, you're going to put, you're going to put up a fight for the things that mean something to you. Listen, let's not talk about the will of God and the word of God and his church and all of this. And uh, look, I mean, we got people that are more ready to, to take up guns than godliness. I mean, some of you folks kind of make me nervous sometimes. You know, we got the barrels of water buried in the backyard with the ammunition and all that stuff. And man, if it comes down to it, we'll, we'll fight. Listen, God doesn't want us to fight with guns right now. God wants us to fight with godliness. God wants us to fight this morning by putting him first. God wants us to fight to walk with him. God wants us to fight to raise children and nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's how God wants us to fight this morning. The problem is we've lost our fight. It's not that important to us anymore. You know, a lot of times we pick on Peter, and I pick on Peter a lot in the Bible as well. But you know, when they came to get Jesus, Peter pulled out his sword and chopped off a guy's ear. You say, well, that's kind of rash. At least you knew what side he was on. Amen. Think about it. There's a lot of things being done in our country today where Christ is being dragged out of schools. He's already been done that. Being dragged out of the courthouse before long to be dragged off our money. And none of us are lifting a hand. Wow, we've lost our fight. We're waiting on some kind of fireball as if God hasn't already done enough for us. Benjamin Franklin was asked in 1787 at the Constitutional Convention, he was asked when he walked out, he says, what are you guys working on in there? What have you wrought, a republic or a monarchy? And his words were this, it's a republic if you can keep it. A republic if you can keep it. Can I tell you what he was saying is, it's a republic, but you're going to have to fight for it. If having this country and all that it embodies and all that it has inspired through the years means anything to you, sooner or later, you've got to fight for it. Sooner or later, you're going to have to take a stand. And what God wants us to do is take a stand with what thus saith the Lord. Listen, we're not talking about duking people out. Don't leave here, man. The preacher says, go pick a fight with a lost person. That's not what we're talking about, okay? What we're talking about is, hey, it, it's a fight to live by the will and word of God. That's a fight. Some of you had a fight just to get here this morning, but it's a fight worth fighting. Paul said, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. That word good means the right fight. You're in the right fight. You know me, I love words, and I was we're doing a word study. My wife can tell you what it means because I, I told it to her all the way to church this morning. You look up the word fight in the New Testament, you'll find it's mentioned about six or seven times. Paul mentioned it most of the time. And the Greek word for fight is this, A-G-O-N. So I asked my wife at the sink this morning, just kind of giving her a test to see how it would go over with you. You think it's bad hearing it once, she has to hear it twice. So just thank the Lord for a good godly wife that sticks with me. A-G-O-N. I said, what does that mean to you? She said, I don't, nothing. I just put a Y on the end of it. 
The word for fight is where we get the Greek word agony. So when Paul tells Timothy, I want you to fight the good fight, he's saying it's going to be agonizing. He said it's not going to be easy. That's, by the way, that's why it's called a fight. There's going to be a little agony in there. How often do you have a little bit of agony in your service to God? I mean, maybe you take agony from your coworkers. Maybe you take agony from your spouse. I don't know. I hope not. Maybe agony from your kids. That's why it's called a fight. You're going to have to fight if it's worth anything. As soon as they found their fire, they found their faith. As soon as they found their fire, they found their fight. If we're going to turn this country around, I want you to know God's people are going to have to find their fight again. And we don't need to wait on a fireball to find our fight. We need to go ahead and just look at what God's already done for us. And that will be making us willing to fight for the things of God again. Couldn't help but look at Luke 22. You read Luke 22 and verse 44. The Bible says this. Speaking of Jesus and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. The Bible says, and his sweat was as great drops of blood. Can I tell you what Jesus was doing for me and for you in the Garden of Gethsemane? The Bible says, and being in agony. You look that word up in Greek, it's agonia. He says, I'm going to go through agony for you. I'm going to fight for you. In the Garden of Gethsemane and all the way to the cross of Calvary, Christ was fighting for me. You go back and you read the accounts of the crucifixion of Christ and all it is is that one big fight and it was all for me and it was all for you. He says, I don't ask you to to agonia, I just ask you to agon. I just ask you to fight for me. Now folks, if he can fight for me, I can fight for him this morning. The Bible says when they found their fire, they found their fight and I wonder this morning, has God done enough for you that'll make you wanna fight for him? Has God done enough for you? Are you still waiting on a fireball? Are you still waiting on God to drop that free house out of the sky or the publisher's clearinghouse guy to drive up in your yard? Can I tell you, if you're saved, he's already done enough. Elijah says, I don't need a fireball. He's done enough for me that I can fight for him. And I want to tell you, as a child of God, he's done way more for me. And it happened back in the Garden of Gethsemane when he sweat his drops of blood. I think about the song. It says, I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus? Oh, what a convicting song. I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus? And the last line says, when he has done so much for me. Folks, I think he's worthy of the best fight we got. Look, I'm not going to fight you over LSU football. I'm just going to call you wrong and go on, all right? I'm not going to fight you over what styles and what cars and all that. That's not worth fighting. Can I tell you, the, the things of God are worth fighting for. The Bible says, having done all to stand. That means, hey, let's put up a fight. Sad thing is Christ is being dragged out of everything in our country and nobody's fighting for him. The last thing I want you to see goes back to verse 21 and I'm going to be done. Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. And there's something to remember. We need to see this. When they found their fire, they found their faith, they found their fight, But remember, he says, if God is God, then follow him. In verse number 39, the Bible says, the Lord, he is the God. Can I tell you what also they found when they found their fire? They found who to follow. They found who they're going to follow. Ultimately, sooner or later, the will and word of God, listen, it's going to call upon you to follow it. Now, look, we have this social media term we use. I have so many followers. You know, it's kind of a neat thing to have so many followers. You know, following Christ and following someone on social media is totally different. 
On social media, you click yes, and you usually block them right after that, right? <laughs> Is that what happens? Because some of you folks need to be honest this morning. I know how this game works. Yes, and then you block them where you can't see their post anymore. You unfriend them. This is not the kind of following that Elijah was calling them to do. The word follow means this, allow to lead the manner of life. Allow to lead the manner of life. Listen close. Ultimately, you are going to follow what fires you up. You're going to follow what fires you up. Finally, man, when God fired them up and God sent a fireball, they said, you know what? We're going to follow him. But Elijah was already fired up from what God had done in his life. Elijah was already following God. I wonder this afternoon, because it's afternoon, in case you were wondering, it's 1210. Do you know where your children are? I hope you do. You're going to follow what fires you up. You're going to follow what fires you up. Look, I have not bought the first piece of Seminole gear since that day. I was just kind of going through the motions because that's what my buddy was doing. They don't really fire me up, to be honest with you. Now, Tiger, look, I'm going to my first LSU ball game here in a few weeks. I've already got some face paint. I mean, it's, it's going to be good. I'll be the guy you see on the news. I'm not going to paint my belly, but I'll paint my face, okay? It's going to be good. I'm going to be fired up. I'm going to be excited. I don't know. I may even run out on the field. I don't know yet. Just kind of fins how excited I get. Why? Because, I mean, I follow what I'm fired up about. And I believe we do the same thing. Your fire is going to determine what you follow. This is why Joshua said this, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Elijah said, there's not a question about, or Joshua said, there's not a question about who we're going to follow. He said, God's done enough for me. God's brought me too far. I'm following him. You see, he was following what fired him up. Ultimately, Elijah's mind was made up. Elijah says, if the Lord be God, follow him. He was just trying to get them to follow the one who had now fired them up. Quick story and I'm done. In the year 1546, Henry VIII condemned three Anabaptists, which are Baptists, to be burned at the stake, all because they rejected the beliefs of the Catholic Church and stood for the Word of God. Among those that would be burned at the stake was one by the name of Anne Askew. Now look up here and listen close. Anne Askew. You need to read about her when you get home. Anne Askew was a 25-year-old hymn writer, songwriter, child of God. She was one of, one of only two women that have ever been tortured at the Tower of London and executed by being burned at the stake. When they got her to the place where she would be burned alive, one of her fellow Anabaptists slipped her a small portion of gunpowder to hold tightly against her when the fire began to lap up, that it would explode and kill her instantly rather than an agonizing death of being burned alive. They asked her if she would just recant, they would let her go. Here's what she says. I am not come hither to deny my Lord and Master. Can I tell you what she said? He hasn't brought me this far to quit on him now. And as she faced being burned alive for the cause of Christ, the 25-year-old woman who is now one of my heroes says, God has brought me too far, and God did not bring me this far to quit on him now. She says, he's done so much for me, I'm just going to keep following him until I see him in just a few minutes. As I sat there, man, tears welled up in my eyes, and this thought crossed my heart. She had what I want, and that was this. The fire that was within her was greater than the fire that was around her. The fire that she had burning on the inside of her motivated her to stick it out, even though being burned alive. And I thought when I read the story of this woman, that's what I want in my life. 
I want to have a fire inside of me that burns so hot and so bright that whatever fire comes up around me, the one I have on the inside is greater. You see, you're going to have to find your fire this morning. When you find your fire, you'll find your faith. When you find your fire, you'll find your fight. When you find your fire, you'll find who you're going to follow. And I pray this morning every one of us has a fire on the inside of us burning us so that it motivates us to cross the finish line that we might hear well done. Now, I believe the only hope for our country today is this. God's people have got to find their fire. God's people, and if you say you are, you have got to find your fire. You've got to find something that stirs you up again for the things of God. We shouldn't be waiting for God to do something when what God's already done is plenty enough. We need to find our faith. We need to find our fight. And we need to find our fire this morning. Can I tell you this? God's done enough. We don't need a fireball. God's already done enough. Why don't we just look back at how God's changed our life and saved our loved ones and brought them to this wonderful place. God did that. God's done enough already. We don't need a fireball. Now let me ask you real quickly, if you're here today, can you say for sure that if you died, you're going to heaven? Can you say that for sure? Do you know that if your heart would stop beating in just a moment before that pianist ever begins to play, do you know for sure that heaven's your home? Because I tell you this, you say, well, I'm waiting on God to do this. I'm waiting on God to do that. Can I tell you, God's already done enough. He sent his one and only son to live a perfect, sinless 33-year life and to die in agony on the cross of Calvary. He's done all that he's going to do. You're waiting on him to speak to you audibly. You're going to be waiting a long time. But that Holy Spirit of God will tug at your heart. He says, here's the knock on the door. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He wants you to have what he fought so hard that you could have. But you've got to decide this morning that you want it. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Let's stand to our feet this morning.